What a glorious song for us to consider before we get into the word. All I have is Christ. Jesus is my life. What would happen if that just got deep into the marrow of our bones? Just how on, how on fire would we be for the gospel and for the grace of God to break into the lives of people who don't have it? Because without Christ, you don't have anything. Amen? Let's come before the Lord and ask help as we get into the word. Let's pray. Father, as we step into Romans 8 once again, I tremble for who is able to unfold these things, able to ascend the mountain of the Lord, who is able to unfold the great riches that are contained in Romans 8, have the explosive power heart, that have the healing balm to minister to a soul that's just been crushed, and that have the life-giving hope of the Holy Spirit to Christian life distinctly, truly, to honor Jesus in all things. And Lord, I pray that we would be able today to taste and see that the Lord is good. That we would be able today to enter into Romans 8 and get glorious help. And we pray that your spirit would baptize this word and that it would be like a river flowing right into our hearts. And you know the medicine. You know what we were facing as we woke up today. And you know what we're going to face two years from now, or ten years from now, or two days from now. So, Father, give us that we need, and give us an encouraging word and reminder of just what it means to be a Christian. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I can't remember if I shared this illustration before, but a few decades back, there was a famous boxer who could just pulverize people with knockout power. His name was Mike Tyson. And it it, it wasn't like you weren't talking how many rounds could somebody last, but you were talking like how many seconds could somebody last. And most people didn't make it out of the first round when they fought Mike Tyson. And he really didn't have much of a challenge most of the 80s. boxers of all time, and everybody remembers him from the famous ear biting and all of that, but he met one day a boxer named Evander Holyfield, and they called Evander the real deal. They said, Evander the real deal Holyfield, and Mike Tyson would go on to learn just what that meant, because It wasn't until then that Tyson actually faced a boxer who had the kind of real skill 
that could rival the power of Tyson. And so when Evander stepped into the ring, you knew something was different. Tyson wasn't fighting the way he normally was. It was all of a sudden he's on the defense, and you've got Holyfield showing himself to be the premier boxer in all the world. And they would call him Evander the Real Deal Holyfield. Because there was something genuine about his boxing that spoke for itself. You knew what you were getting when he went into the ring. And Paul is going to help us see just what it means to be the real deal when it comes to being a Christian. He's helping, he's wanting to help and give encouragement to real Christians so that they might have assurance of who they are in Christ, that they've been moved out of the realm of the flesh and into the realm of the Spirit. And we've spent the last couple of weeks just kind of climbing this mountain where he's like, if you're a Christian, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you're a Christian, you've been set free by the Spirit of life from the law and the principle and the power of sin and death and its condemnation. You've been set free. And then he would go and show us this ugly picture of sin, right? And and say, those in the flesh, they're actually hostile to God. They don't submit to God's law. And indeed, they cannot. Verse 7 says. They can't. Submit to God's law. There's an inability. And those in the flesh cannot please God. And so last week, we kind of spent a lot of time leaning in to what that looked like of being in the flesh. And we we spent a little bit of time on the side of leaning into what does it mean to be in the spirit. And now Paul is going to come full circle and say, I want to help you understand what it means to be the real deal. What it means to be truly a Christian. And he's going to give us some help. And the first thing he tells us is you want to know what a real Christian is? A real Christian is one who has the Holy Spirit inside of him. Let's look at it in our text. We're going to drink in this text. And we're going to see the Spirit is all over Romans 8. And the Spirit is the great hallmark of what it means to be truly in Christ. I'm going to start us back in uh, verse 7 just to get that bit. And then we'll go through verse 11. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through 
the Holy Spirit, right? Through the Spirit who dwells in you. So Romans 8 has the, has the power and the life-giving truth to help us when we're dealing with the very reality of death itself and the very reality of how can I live the Christian life in the face of indwelling sin and my own failures and my own struggles, what is going to make the difference if I'm the real deal? And he starts out saying, the real Christian is one who is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And it was right there in verse 9. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's a statement of fact. That's a reality for every single Christian in this room. If you're a child of God, if you're in Christ, if one day you were born again because you believed the Gospel, the Spirit of God came to live inside of you. That's what Paul's saying. So you want some hope on Father's Day? Please know that the Spirit of the living God has been put inside of you if you're in Christ. It's a reminder that you're God's. It's a reminder that you've been rescued. It's a reminder that salvation has come in. God didn't leave you like a spiritual orphan, but He actually sent His Spirit into you to claim you and to transform you. And you notice that he's talking to Christians now because verse 9 changes the pronouns. He's talking about those who were in the flesh and those who were in the Spirit and it's third person. And then in verse 9 he says, you, however, Christians, you Christians at Rome, you saints of God at Rome need to know that the Spirit of God is in you. That's how you know that you're the real deal. Do you have the Holy Spirit in you? Is the Spirit of Christ dwelling in you? Because that's what verse 9 is teaching makes all the difference. That's how you know. And that word in Greek is oikos, which is the same word for home. That word dwell in you. It's as if the Spirit has made a home in you. A couple years ago, we moved to Shelbyville, and when we were looking for houses out in Shelbyville, there was a new build going on, and so we got a chance to walk into our future home, and we walked in, and, and we noticed some things when we walked into the home. You walk in, and, you know, there was carpet, and there was, you know, four walls, and there was, you know, uh, tile that had been put in, but... All of the evidence that somebody was dwelling in that home was not there. There was no furniture. There was no signs of life. There was just an emptiness to that place. And it wasn't until a few months later when we bought the home and moved in that we brought all of our stuff and all of the life and the little human beings and the three Phillips children started strolling through that house and then all of a sudden it's like you've got life in that house and there's evidences and signs of life and you've got furniture and you've got TVs and you've got food and you've got all these things that demonstrate life is present. 
And Paul wants us to get help here by saying, if the Spirit of God is made a home in you, He's dwelling inside of you. There's going to be evidence in your life. There's going to be signs of life. When the doctor takes your pulse, if you passed out or something, he's looking for signs of life. He's, he's putting his hand over to see if you're breathing still. And we need to take a pulse. Is there signs of life? Is there signs of the Spirit? Is there evidence? Is there furniture in the home? When the Spirit of God comes inside of you, He begins to change you. He begins to claim you bit by bit for King Jesus and sanctify you. He doesn't let you just be the same. The old patterns and ways of thinking begin to shed. We call it sanctification. The Spirit of God begins to make you unsettled with sin. We've been talking a lot these past few weeks about how sin brings death. Sin brings separation from God. And so the Spirit is dealing with Christians in convicting and exhorting and illuminating God's Word. And you begin to have convictions like, ah, I can't be living that way anymore. And He begins to turn the light on in every room in your home. And he begins to furnish it with the mind of Christ. He begins to furnish it with godliness. He begins to furnish it with a putting on of the righteousness of Jesus and grow you in grace. Is there signs of life? Is there a spiritual heartbeat going on? The Holy Spirit is the very thing that God puts inside of Christians to let them know they are His. So it matters greatly if we have the Spirit or not. Verse 9 says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Because nobody's home. It's like that empty house. We went in, nobody was home. And that's the way we are in our sin apart from Christ. That's the way every single person who does not know Jesus is living their life in this world. It doesn't matter if they have belief in God. They might believe in God and give lip service to God and say, I believe in the, you know, the big guy. But they don't have life inside of them. And so their heart's not changed. There's an intellectual tipping of the hat, but there's no real life. And so Paul is like, listen, I want to encourage you. If the Spirit's in you, you're a Christian. And if you don't have the Spirit, you're not a Christian. And that's matter of fact. He's not trying to be heavy, but he's trying to say, listen, the Spirit of life comes into a person and sets them free and then makes his home there. And it's a settled, fixed, permanent residence. And Jesus promised this kind of stuff, right? He promised it back in John 14 when he was talking to his disciples uh, just a week before his crucifixion. He's given them real detailed instructions on, hey, here's how I'm going to prepare you. I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to raise and I'm going to go to the Father, but I want to tell you something. I'm going to send you a helper. Listen to this. If uh, chapter 14 and verse 
15 says, if you love me, Jesus said, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, there he is, whom the world cannot receive because he neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. So the spirit had not yet been in empowering indwelling but he's going to and he says i will not leave you orphans i will come to you what an encouraging thing that jesus says to his children to his followers to his disciples i'm not going to leave you orphans I'm going to come to you and I'm going to bring you into my family. I'm going to make you a part of my home and every right and privilege of a child of God will be yours. You will be taken out of Adam's family and you'll be brought into my family. You belong to me. Notice verse 9 talks in that language. If you don't have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to him. That's a language of belonging, belonging to the family. But in Christ, we belong to a new family. And Jesus promised to send his Holy Spirit to be with us forever. So do you know that kind of sweet fellowship of the Spirit? Now, it's not going to be, you know, like all bees, you know, buzzing and birds chirping all the time. There's times when we grieve the Holy Spirit. There's times when we feel like, I just feel distant. But the Spirit of God is going to make Himself known in your life. If you have no, if you're devoid of the Spirit, you, you're devoid, it's foreign, it's not a, a real concept to you, then I would encourage you to look to Jesus and ask Him to save you and visit you with the Holy Spirit. Because this language is all over the New Testament. A language of being brought by the Spirit into the family of God. Look at Romans 8 and verse 15 and 16. It says the same exact thing. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's the Spirit's job to encourage you that you're a child of God if you truly are. And it's the Spirit who delivered you from the bondage of fear and the bondage of sin and condemnation and has now given you a spirit of adoption so you relate to God as your true Father. You want a gift on Father's Day? The Father loves you and the Father has sent His Son to rescue you and bring you into His family. And when you believe it, you're made new and you become part of His family. And nobody can snatch you from His hands. That's what it means to be the real deal. What glorious news. There's not better news than the fact you're in the family of God permanently because God put His Spirit in you and nobody can take it from you. 1 Corinthians 
chapter one makes, or I'm sorry, chapter six makes a similar kind of claim about the spirit dwelling in us. It says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You're a temple of the living God. And, and, and the church is the temple of God as well. The Spirit of God dwells. When we gather, the Spirit shows up. The Spirit makes Himself known. When, when, when the Word of God is preached and the Spirit comes in power, you begin to kind of feel it. Like there's something going on here because the Holy Spirit's talking to you. Because the Holy Spirit's ministering to you. Because the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Trying to tell you the truths of Scripture. And applying it into your life. There's a reason sometimes it's like that sermon was just for me. It's like you were preaching just to me because the Spirit was making it alive in your heart. Showing you things. We're the temple of the living God and it matters what we do with our bodies. It matters what we do in these bodies because we're the temple of God. And these same bodies are going to one day be raised up. It matters what we do. And if the Spirit of God dwells in us, oh, how it would change the things that we begin to do in our bodies. Paul makes that argument. Guard your heart. Guard your bodies. Guard. That's why it's important to think through what it means to be filled and indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Now that we've seen the real Christian has the Holy Spirit. But did you realize that this text actually says the real Christian also is indwelt by Christ. Christ is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you and Christ is in you. Let me show it to you in verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is is life because of righteousness. If you've noticed, there's some interchange going on. Sometimes the Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. And, and, and it said the Spirit is in you in verse 9. And now it's saying Christ is in you. This has got the Trinity all over it. We serve a God who's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is one God who eternally exists in three persons. And the Father planned salvation from eternity past. The Son accomplished salvation by coming and dying on a cross and rising up out of the grave. And the Spirit applies salvation into your life and indwells and empowers believers. This is a glorious Trinitarian work that God, before the foundation of the world, had planned to redeem a people and make them totally new. So please know, Christ is in you if you're a Christian. That's the hope of glory, Paul said. You want a glorious hope? Christ is in you. And what He does when He lives in you, He makes you alive. He sent His Spirit to make you alive. Listen to the Gospel of John 1.12 remind us of this very thing. But to all who did receive Him, meaning Jesus, who believed in His name, 
He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you see it again? Believing in Jesus makes you a part of the family of God, and then you're made alive, born of God, born of his spirit, born of Christ in you. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. There's no salvation apart from it. Nicodemus got a little weirded out. <laughs> like, wait, am I going to have to be born a second time? How can, I, how can that work physically? And Jesus said, you've got to be born by water and spirit. You've got to be born by the life-giving spirit of God. And that's just what Paul says in verse 2. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not... Or I'm sorry. For the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Did you see that? The spirit of life has set you free. That's new birth. Sometimes Christians will, will meet each other on the street and they'll tell each other, oh, I'm a Christian. And have you ever been asked the question, are, are you born again? That's not a bad question to ask somebody. Are you born again? Let me get a drink. When we're thinking about the Holy Spirit bringing new life into a person and Jesus said you must be born again or you're not in Christ and you can't even see the kingdom and he was telling the teacher of Israel that. We need to know that Jesus puts a premium on new birth. And verse 10 tells us why. If you see it right there in verse 10, look at it once again. Although the body is dead because of sin. That's why we need new life. Because we're dead in our sins and trespasses. Our bodies are dead. They're going to, we're going to die. The first breath we take is the first breath on its way to death. As one famous preacher put it. Ultimately, we need to understand death is coming because we sin. But notice the rest of verse 10. This is the encouragement. Although the, the, the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. The spirit of God brings life into your soul because of the work of Jesus. Who is Jesus but the one who was righteous? who lived perfectly, who died in our place so that we could be set free. And we need to, to, to revel in the beauty that all I have is Christ and Jesus is my life. If we really believe that, then we're going to soar with truths like 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You want to know how righteousness gets inside of you? You want to know how righteousness can be declared over you? Christ in us, the hope. Of glory. 
The real deal has Christ in him. The real deal has been rescued from his unrighteousness or her unrighteousness and been robed with the righteousness of Jesus. He's my righteousness. He's my sanctification. He's my redemption. He's all that I need. And he sent his spirit to be the seal of that work in my heart. Now, in the day of emails and modern UPS mailing system and things like that, sometimes we struggle with the idea of a seal. Um, But in ancient times, you would have kings that wanted to send messages and they would send an envoy and they might write a handwritten letter. I know this is foreign these days, but handwritten letters were a thing. And I know there's some members in here who have probably written a few, right? Handwritten letters. So Paul wrote Romans with actual ink and paper or papyrus. And ultimately, these scrolls would get sent and sealed. And kings would often send official documents in the ancient times, and they would seal it with a wax seal that had their imprint on it, so you would know it was from him, and it was legit. Well, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of life, is the seal that God has put on you. That everything He promises in Christ is yours and He will bring it to fruition. The Spirit of life brings righteousness into your life, sanctification into your life, and one day resurrection is coming. And resurrection life begins when you're born again. You were dead in your sins and then you're alive once the Spirit makes you alive. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says something similar when it says, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. Did you hear it? Old and dead, new and alive. The old has passed away and the new has come. That's what happens when Christ comes into you. He makes you a new person. And forensically or legally, you're totally righteous in God's sight. And positionally and progressively, you're becoming more holy every day as the Spirit molds and shapes you through the Word of God, through the preaching of the Word, through the teaching of the Word, through the drinking in of the Word, through the convicting, illuminating, strengthening work of the Spirit in your life. So this seal that God puts on us And that also indwells us is the heartbeat of the Christian life. I'm just struggling in the Christian life. Lean into the spirit. Ask God to empower your life. Ask God to do what only he could do. And then watch him work in you to do it. That's what we see in verse 10. We see the spirit of life in us because of the righteousness of Jesus and what he did in his cross work to save us. Jesus had to do something to get you out of death. Jesus had to do something to get you from death to life, to get you from sin and slavery to it, to freedom and walking with God in a life pleasing God versus a life totally devoid of God and having the wrath of God on it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it about as 
And if you want a memory verse for today, this one is a good one. This is God's succinct little kernel of the gospel right here. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you see that? For our sake, for the Christian, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. He took sin on himself. He took your sin on himself. He took all the vile things we will ever do on his, himself on a tree. And he bore the curse for us. And it was so horrendous and so terrible and so awful and so vile that he would cry out to the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he had to be forsaken so that you would be forgiven. He who knew no sin became sin for you so that you might become the righteousness of God in him. And the Holy Spirit shows it to you. You would never be saved unless the Spirit of God opens your eyes to these realities. It would just be noise. For our sake, He did it. Our sin deserves death. Jesus died for us. Our life must be perfectly righteous, so Jesus lives a perfect life for us. And He is our substitute. You can't do it on your own. Your good works won't do it. Your baptism won't do it. Your church attendance won't do it. All those are good things, but they don't rescue you. He had to do it, and he had to plunge into death and condemnation itself and pull you from the jaws of the wrath of God that is due to you and the death we deserve. And the prince of life ascended out of the grave to give life to you. That's why it says, although the body, or although, uh, verse 10, as you look at it, it says, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life. There's a contrast there. Our sin brings death, but the spirit brings life. Well, the last thing that, that real Christians have as an identity marker is Real Christians are going to be raised from the dead. <laughs> Real Christians are going to be raised up from the dead. We've got a death problem. Every one of us will face death. The wages of sin is death. And if we're in Christ, if we have the Holy Spirit, if the Spirit is in us, then we have a guarantee that just as He raised Jesus from the dead, He will raise you up from the dead. That's a glorious reality. Look at it right there in verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. It couldn't be clearer, right? He keeps saying it. Him who raised Jesus from the dead. He who raised Jesus from the dead. If He can do that, the Spirit He put inside of you is the means by which He will raise you up. The Spirit of life is also the Spirit of resurrection. Power.
Now, one of the things that's sobering about being a church next to a cemetery is we are all reminded of this reality. We need somebody to deliver us from the jaws of death. We need a prince who is life, who conquers death and swallows it up in victory. We need someone who goes into the undiscovered country and comes back. And you have no hope without Christ. But we have glorious hope in Christ as this verse lays out for us. Death will not have the last word for you, Christian. It's been swallowed up in victory. Listen to this description from Romans chapter 8 in verse 18. Paul unfolds this glorious future resurrection. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, you want help in the midst of suffering? I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And if you drop down to verse 23, it says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You want to know there's, there's a groaning going on in us and in the creation for the revealing of the sons of God that one day death will be swallowed up in victory. Every tear, every pain, every suffering that you go through will end one day. Your failing bodies will be renewed in the twinkling of an eye. Your mortal body shall take on immortality and you will shine and every blade of grass will be renewed and the sons and daughters of God will shine like the sun, radiant with life. That is the promise for believers. He swallowed it up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? There's something glorious coming for us, brothers and sisters. Something glorious, marvelous, majestic, awesome. And Paul wants you to know if you have the Holy Spirit, it's yours. If you're in Christ, it's yours. There's no greater hope on Father's Day when you taste the bitterness of death then the Prince of Life can give you victory over it. And He can rescue your loved ones in Christ and raise them up. And they're going to be so glorious. They're going to be so marvelous one day. You'd be tempted to bow down. That's how radiant they will be. This is reality. This is life. This is God's Word to us. Never forget the reality and the privilege of what it means to be the real deal. The Holy Spirit is in you. Christ is in you. And resurrection life is in you. So what does this mean for us on Father's Day? Well, a word to the fathers 
who are not yet Christians and perhaps feel like there's not a whole lot of hope. I don't feel in touch with this. Maybe you're here today. You feel like, I'm not in touch with this. I don't have spiritual life. I've never really truly repented. I've never really admitted my sin before God. And I've really never come to terms with it. Well, there's no day like today than the spirit of life to set you free because you've heard the word of the gospel. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for you, that in him you might become the righteousness of God. If you admit your sin, turn from it, believe on the Lord, you can be saved. You can be a renewed father on Father's Day. Because there's a father who loved you and he sent his son to the cross to die for you, to give you life. Maybe, maybe we're fathers here, we're Christians, but we've lost sight of the core of Christianity. We've lost sight of the blazing center. We've lost sight of this kind of Romans 8 view of life. And we need so desperately to be rescued by it and enthralled by it and in wonder of it and be renewed. And we're like in a spiritual desert and we just need that water to pour over us again. And men, I want to encourage you that there's hope for you. Perhaps the Spirit is saying to you today, Arise, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. As Paul said in Ephesians, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be drunk on wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Once again, the road to new, glorious, powerful, winsome Christianity and fathering is the pathway that seeks to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And notice Paul says, make good use of your time. Drink deeply from God's word. Love the things of the gospel. Put it before your mind daily. Don't let days and days on end go where you're devoid of the word of God and the wisdom of God and the voice of God in your life. That's a road to despair and sort of a monotonous, ho-hum, snoozing, peacefully kind of Christianity when there's all sorts of glorious adventure for us in Christ. Third thing I want to say to fathers is that I know that some in here might feel discouraged when they think about their fathering. You should feel like I've, I've messed up so many times. I've, I've, I feel like I've made a mess of things and I haven't done right by my kids. I feel perpetually guilty. I feel like a failure. I feel like I'm without hope. I feel like this father thing is like an impossible task, right? I'm going to be God the father kind of fathering. Sending my son sacrificially, I don't do any of that kind of stuff. What's verse 1 of chapter 8 say? There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Brothers, 
There's no condemnation for you in Christ. You may have made mistakes. You may have fallen short as dads. You're not going to get it right every day, and you're not going to get it right many times a day. (laughs) But the reality is that God uses imperfect fathers to do glorious work and fruitful ministry, and He takes your failures and He uses them to bless others. If you're vulnerable and you you open yourselves up to community where you're taking those things and you're ministering to the body. Dash your discouraging thoughts on the promise of the Gospel for you that there's new mercies every morning for the failing, struggling father. That's good news. Fourth and finally, Father's glory and resurrection bodies are coming. The best is yet to come. Press on knowing that. You know the end. You know what's coming. You know the glory is coming. And so when our bodies are failing us, when our days get derailed, when we feel like we're just in the monotonous drumbeat of just daily, ordinary life, know that every bit of it is infused with meaning and can glorify God because you're living for Him. You're living marching to a drumbeat of another. You have the Spirit of God inside you and there's a reminder that one day all things will be made new. That's hope when you get the diagnosis. That something's wrong with you. That's hope when you feel totally just spent and withered. That's hope as you see your body wearing out over the years and you can't do the things you used to do. Glory is coming. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now we're going to take a whole message on that some other time, but I will tell you this, that is a word to us to live in death-defying ways, encouraged that resurrection life is just around the corner and we can live this life with meaning. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Holy Spirit. That's glorious news. And sisters, this is equally true of you. All of these applications are true of you as well because you're in Christ. Everybody in here who's in Christ. So be encouraged. We have wonderful reality to glory and savor. And go out this Father's Day and rejoice in who you are, knowing you're the real deal. You got the Holy Spirit. Christ is in you. And you will be raised one day. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this Word. We thank You for the hope of this Word. We thank You that it's hope in discouraging times. It's hope in times when things are going well. But we pray, Father, that You would minister in a special way. Lord, if if, if we need to repent and, and turn to You for the first time, 
I pray, God, that you would work that in, in, in the heart of those who need it. I pray, Father, for those who are just discouraged about uh, fathering or parenting or, or just life in general. This has been so hard and they need to be reminded and get help from this passage once again that the Spirit is in their life and that you will never let them go. You will never let your people go. It is a guarantee that you'll finish the work you have begun. And Father, may we just savor these wonderful promises for the saints of God. Please give us help and give us the fuel to live the Christian life according to the heartbeat of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.